Well, it is so good to be with all of you this morning at Fruitland Covenant. It is my first time at this beautiful chapel, and oh my goodness, what an amazing place to come and worship God and just have some peace this morning, right? So again, my name is Mallory Wood. I work for an organization that I believe you've heard of called World Vision. And I get to be with you today because, as you've heard, Pastor Carl this weekend ran an incredible ultra marathon of over 50 miles to help bring fullness of life to kids in Congo. Now, we've already asked, why would Pastor Carl do something like this? Because most of us would not. Um, we're wondering, what in the world was he thinking? But I think at the end of our time this morning, it's going to make a little bit more sense why Pastor Carl would do something like this. But first, I'm going to tell you a little bit about me so we can become better acquainted, and then I will share what I feel like God has placed on my heart for all of us this morning. So like I said, my name is Mallory. Uh, I was a kids pastor for over 10 years, so it really made my heart happy to see a friend up here this morning. Um, so I have uh, been working at World Vision since the beginning of November. I'm new on staff. I felt God calling me to World Vision uh, last summer. And I have been married to my husband, EJ, for over 10 years. Uh, he is the campus pastor of our home church. So he, I believe, this morning is probably leading worship right now. Um, we have two kids, Dre, who is five. He'll be starting kindergarten in the fall. And Claire, who's three, and she'll be starting preschool in September. They are a lot of fun and a lot of work. And if my eyes look really tired, it's because they are. <laughs> um, so I, I love my kids and I love Muskegon. We live in Muskegon. We've been living there for almost seven years. We love it. Um, and in my new role at World Vision, I have the privilege and the honor of getting to spend time with congregations like you. It's one of the things that I get to do. It's one of the things that I love most. Um, as well as our work around the world and being the literal hands and feet of Jesus. It's been such a joy. And one of the cool opportunities, like I said, is getting to share with you. And, okay, now I'm going to share something a little strange with you. Because I personally feel like if we don't get a little weird, we don't really get to know each other. So one of the things I'm going to tell you is the first thing that I do when I read a book, whether I purchase it, get it from the library is I turn to the last few pages. It's something that I always do, and I can't help myself. I try and I try, but I can't stop. I love reading that last scene and then reading the, the remainder of the book to figure out what that important image portrays or the reason and significance behind a closing quote. I enjoy seeing who are the main characters in the last scene to see kind of how their story plays out throughout the book and in the chapters. And when I confess this to my husband, he was not compassionate with me. <laughs> he immediately said, you're one of those people. I can't believe you do that. I can't believe you turn to the end of the book before you even read it. It ruins the whole experience. Yes, I'm one of those people. And I don't think it ruins the book at all. I think it enhances my experience. I think it broadens my imagination and helps me get excited for the rest of the book. 
And today, whether you like it or not, in the most important book in our history, in the Bible, Jesus has already shown us the last few pages of the big book, of the book of our lives. He tells us what happens at the very end of the world. Now, do you think Jesus does this to ruin the book for us? Absolutely not. Jesus gives us a glimpse into the future because looking at the end shapes how we view our lives and how we live with each other in the here and now. So to understand where we'll be focusing today, we need to know the events that came before it. Because remember, we are on the last page after all. So we'll be focusing on Matthew 25 today. And in Matthew 25, Jesus tells us multiple parables. In each one, he has emphasized one point. And that point above all others is when he is away from his followers, they must live in a state of readiness for his return. They must prepare for him to come back by making wise choices while he's gone. And in this chapter of the Bible, it's one of the few chapters where it's composed entirely of Jesus' own spoken words. So in Matthew 25, 1 through 7, the first parable he tells describes the kingdom of heaven using the example of 10 virgins who took lamps to meet a bridegroom. Now the word virgin here that was used is to describe an unmarried young woman. It's possible that Jesus meant for these young women to be understood as bridal attendants, people getting the bride ready for the big wedding. They've all gone together to wait, possibly at the bride's house, for the groom to come. Then they would all go together to the wedding feast, likely at the groom's house, and the 10 young women have all brought lamps since the procession through the streets takes place long after dark. The Greek word used for lamp here is referred to as a light. So these might have been what modern people think of as torches. Regardless of their shape, these lights need oil to operate. So half of the young women, they brought pr plenty of oil. They were prepared. But the other half brought no oil or only enough to last a very short time. Because the groom is delayed, they fall asleep until hearing the announcement that the groom is fastly approaching. Without oil, the five foolish young women are in trouble. They ask to use some oil brought by the wiser women, but there won't be enough for everybody. They're forced to run in the night, and in an attempt to buy oil, they didn't make it back. It causes them to miss the procession. When they arrive late to the wedding feast, they're not welcomed in. The other five that have been there have entered, and no one is left to vouch for these foolish ones. Jesus emphasizes in this first parable that nobody knows the day or hour when he, the bridegroom, will return. His disciples must be prepared. Next, Jesus uses a parable which explains part of the word, how the word talent is used in modern English. Now, in this story, a wealthy man goes on a journey and he leaves three servants in charge of very large sums of money. Each is intended to steward their funds wisely and well, ideally returning a profit for the master. Now, in Jesus' era, a talent was a weight of measure for precious metals. Scholars estimate that a single talent could have been the equivalent of nearly 20 years of common labor. That's a lot of money. The trust invested in these men and the value of their assets is enormous, 
And the first two servants do exactly as expected. They use all they were given and return as much as they were able. Now the third servant, he buries what he's given and he doesn't touch it until the master returns. The first two servants, as expected, are praised by the master, given even greater responsibility and opportunity and invited to share with him and his joy. But that third servant, he's condemned. Condemned for this feeble excuse that he was afraid to lose his master's money. In fact, his excuse is a bit dishonest. If he had feared the master so much, would he have not tried to generate a profit? Instead, the third man proves he's not a true servant at all. And whether out of spite, laziness, or bitterness, he chose to ignore an enormous blessing. Having proven himself disloyal and disobedient, the man is thrown out into the darkness. And the point of this second parable is how we as God's creation use the assets, resources, abilities, skills, and materials that God has blessed us with. Not all people are given the same share of talents, but God's assessment is based on whether we faithfully use what we're given. To waste, ignore, or disrespect what God provides for us is sinful. So here we are. We're at our passage now. We're at the end of the big book of our lives. Our passage begins in Matthew 25, 31, where Jesus describes the moment when the waiting is over. The bridegroom has returned he returns to earth with his angels as the king and the judge. This scene depicts some point during the end times. What follows is a passage notably difficult to interpret. Scholars have debated this passage for years upon years. Whether it is an explicit moment in time, perhaps at the beginning of the millennial kingdom, or a general explanation of each person's eternal fate, other disputes arise over whether those being judged are only Gentiles or only non-Christians who survived tribulation or all people living on earth at that time. Now, in any case, Jesus sits on his throne and he separates these people into two groups. The use of shepherding terminology is why this passage is referred to as the parable of the sheep and goats. What it depicts, however, feels very real to us. The first group is praised and rewarded since their faithful love for others has proven their faithful obedience in Christ. Their description echoes other biblical passages about salvation. And though believers are not saved by their good deeds, their good deeds prove that they do indeed have a saving faith in Christ. Now, loving other people and meeting their needs is treated by Christ as if those deeds have been done to him personally. Now, in contrast, the other group exhibited deeds which prove they don't have saving faith in Christ. And because of this, Jesus will condemn, condemn them. That group of unbelievers did not serve others during their times of greatest need. Jesus took that personally as well. As with the first group, the goats echo back Jesus' judgment, but more as an excuse than in confusion. If we had known it was you, they might be saying. That, however, does not change their sin. Their actions have proven their lack of faith, and so they are condemned to an eternal fate apart from God. Matthew 25, 35 through 40 says this, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. 
I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So in our passage, Jesus is talking about the least important. People whom other re- others regard as insignificant. People who are easily forgotten. People who are out of sight, so they might be out of mind. This parable is about how our faith in Jesus and our worship ought to penetrate and be interwoven with the ordinary, everyday things of our lives. We don't have to look too far to find the people whom Jesus called the least. The least are the one billion people who live on less than $2 a day. The over one billion people who don't have access to affordable, safe, or clean drinking water. The over 800 million people who are illiterate. The least that Jesus is talking about are the hundreds of thousands of children who die every year due to preventable diseases. The 10 million refugees in the world in places like Kenya and another 30 million people who have lost their homes because of conflict and disasters. The least Jesus speaks about are the thousands of people in a place like Nepal who are so poor and so desperately in need of basic health services while the fighting is going on between the government and rebel forces. The least are the 11 million who are facing starvation in Malawi. What I've mentioned is just a drop, just a tiny drop in the ocean of human suffering around our planet not forgetting the least right here in our country, in our community. Now we need to remember here that we worship a God who has always entangled himself in the suffering of humanity, in our sufferings, in the suffering of the people everywhere. He's never gone away from us. He's always been with us. And in fact, we worship a God who chooses not to untangle all the knots and problems of our world from the safety of heaven, but invites us all to be partners with him to join our love to his love, to be a part of what he's doing, the movements around our country and others, and reach out to the suffering people in our world. We're called to see the face of Jesus and the faces of these people and minister to them in the same way that Christ has ministered to us in times of need. These are people we can easily ignore because they're different than us or because of their religion or race or lifestyle or proximity to where we live. They're people we can easily forget because they're far from our own shores and we can't begin to imagine their suffering because we've never really witnessed something like it here. These are people that cause us to look the other way because it can be really uncomfortable. But at the same time, these are the people whom Jesus claims to be, claims to be among Or better, it's in the face of these people that we actually see Jesus. I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus reveals that not only were the greatest acts of service done to him, even the smallest ones to the least people in the world are done to him. So back to Pastor Carl. What exactly is your pastor doing this weekend? Pastor Carl ran the Black Hills Ultra Marathon yesterday. Black Hills is an intense, 
adventure to South Dakota for a very difficult trail race. It is a one-of-a-kind trip to experience the awe and majesty of God in the rugged West while continuing to move his feet for child sponsorships. The Black Hills Ultra is a challenging, over 50-mile race held on the Centennial Trail in the northern Black Hills of South Dakota. It features over 16,000 feet in elevation gain. It follows an out-and-back course that ends in Sturgis. And what the Black Hills lack in altitude, they make up for in relentless hills that offer a unique challenge compared to other Western ultras. You guys, this is a very difficult race to run. Pastor Carl, I can tell you right now, after meeting with him countless times over his training, he is not running this race because it is fun. He has had pain. He has had injury. He has had setbacks after setbacks. And he has been persistent. And he has been determined. And he has been running to finish this race. And he did yesterday. He did finish the race. He put his body through stress and pain, not because it's fun, because I'm telling you, if you think it's fun, that's kind of wild. But he did it because of the call in Matthew 25. He moved his body to help bring children in Congo sponsorship so that they may experience fullness of life. He was doing this for the least of these. And I'm here to tell you it's okay that Jesus ruined the big book for us today by reading the last page. It's good to know that what lies ahead, because it changes how we view our lives. Pastor Carl has been running miles and miles to serve the least of these this weekend. His family has been alongside of him, supporting him, caring for him as he's been doing this. And I have a challenge that I'd like to invite you into that will help you step into the lives of some of the least of these even more. And it's called the Matthew 25 challenge. I encourage you, we have some handouts for you today that we're going to hand out at the end of service. I encourage you to take one of those and follow the instructions to sign up for the Matthew 25 challenge this week. It will help you take a walk a week, just for one week in the shoes of the most vulnerable. You'll receive a prompt every morning for something that you can physically do to enter the world of someone in this category. It might have something to do with what you eat that day. It might have something to do with what you drink that day, the clothes you may wear. But each day it will give you a challenge to step into the lives of these people that we're called to love and serve. It'll send you a prayer each day and then a reflection each evening to continue to soften your heart for these people. And I encourage you to accept this challenge. I encourage you to accept it because I promise you it will change the way you look at the people around you and the way that you even look at Jesus. I encourage you to begin asking God to even greater soften your heart as Pastor Carl has been. And he's coming back next week to share all about the Black Hills Ultra with you, to share about his experience, what God has taught him, where God is leading him. And then the week after that, he's going to be inviting you into something that's going to transform your life. So I encourage you to be here for that week as well. But no spoilers this time. We're going to go ahead and respond through song.
and then I will give you a prayer of blessing.